Well, good afternoon again, everybody. There's less of you, so you have to say it louder. You have to say it like you mean it, okay? Good afternoon, everybody. Yay, there we go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> who remembers saying that in class? Who, remember, who remembers like doing that in class? I remember doing that in class. What was my teacher's name? Mr. Sanderson. Good afternoon, Mr. Sanderson. Yes. Um, well, we are back again in the book of Matthew in our series that uh, we're running. I can see the, the slide there about, uh, called the, the, uh, the Kingdom. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you've uh, not been with us for the last few weeks, we've started thinking about the section which is called uh, the Sermon on the Mount sometimes. Uh, And it is Jesus preaching a sermon to uh, to his disciples and to the people around him. Uh, And it is uh, a privilege, I think, to have that kind of uh, document. You know, just the actual recorded words of Jesus as he preaches a, a sermon. I'm going to get into that in a moment. But uh, I don't know about you, but I'm becoming increasingly aware when I go on the websites and I read the papers and all those kind of things that uh, we, you're seeing a lot of articles about um, uh, perhaps violence in our society or about things just not being good in our society. Uh, And then somebody saying, usually a professor of something saying, and the reason for this is dot, 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 dot. The reason why society is breaking down, the reason why there is mistrust, the reason why there is violence, whatever it is, dot, dot, dot. And then huge debates rage around this, you know, whether the crime statistics are being, you know, is crime higher because of lower economic activity? Is it higher because of lower levels of education? Is it higher because of the breakdown in the family? About what? What is it? And governments around the world quite rightly want to understand this because because you know who doesn't want who wants to live in a society like that? They want they want to live in a society that is safe and uh, a society that is good to live in. And so they're kind of all the governments wonder, you know, what button can I press? to make this better? Uh, you know, what law can I pass or what uh, what program can we run to, to make it better? I wonder how many of them realise that, that Jesus had already given them the answer. I wonder how many have spotted the fact that Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the mount, the cause of this kind of activity. And uh, we'll think about that and uh, what, the, what the answer is to it. And so we're going to explore that really with two questions today. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes if you are taking notes. Um, with two questions. Question is, number one is, do we need to follow the law? And we'll talk about what the law means in a minute. And how can we follow the law? So those are our two questions for today that we're going to try and answer. Before we do that, let me pray as we get into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all that we need to know for life. Uh, Lord, uh, some of the teaching is easy, some of the teaching is hard, but it is all useful to us. 
Lord, will you open our eyes to it through your Holy Spirit? Will you show us what is happening here and what we need to know, what we need to learn, what we need to change in our lives? Uh, Lord, nobody needs to hear from me. Just let me be in the background, Lord. We just want this to be uh, the Word of God coming out to his people. Amen. So, first question is, do we need to follow the law? And Andrew might have to give this a prompt, thank you. Uh, do we need to follow the law? In this section, Jesus is talking about four commands or rules which have come from the Jewish law in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, the law in the Old Testament covered uh, moral law, which is the kind of thing we're talking about now, some very pragmatic rules for good health and those kind of things, and uh, religious laws, uh, how how the the Jews were to worship in the in the temple. Uh, it had been around for a long time. Certainly, by the time Jesus lived, it had been around for a long time. And uh, the Pharisees were a group of people in Israel, religious leaders, whose job was to interpret the rules. They they were to say, okay, this is what it says, and this is how we're going to follow them. That's why. You see in uh, verse 21 and, and uh, verse 27 and verse 31 there, it says, uh, you have heard that, uh, or uh, it has been said. Jesus is talking about what the Pharisees have been teaching to the, to the Jewish people, the people in Israel. Uh, but there's a problem. There's a problem because they'd been distorting that original law as set out by God sometimes by adding things to it sometimes by defining things differently sometimes by applying it differently it's very easy to get get on our high horse and say oh naughty Pharisees imagine doing that but to be honest with you uh, the laws and the culture in the UK do exactly the same um, uh, non if you look at these four particular areas today, our culture defines them very differently to how Jesus Jesus defined them. So it's against this background that Jesus comes in. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to set the record straight. He's trying to say to get to the heart of the matter because, as we're going to see, it is the heart that matters. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one pretty briefly, um, but then get to the real centre of the teaching, the real crux of the teaching. Uh, you could do a whole sermon on each one of these four areas. You could do several sermons on each one of these areas. We don't have that sort of time. So we're going to go through it fairly, fairly briefly. Uh, just as a reminder, if you do have questions about them, you do have concerns about them, drop us an email. There's a text number that appears at the end of the service. Use that. Send us your questions. Don't, don't worry about that. Uh, so we're going to look at each one of these four areas of, of the moral law. They're all from the moral law, uh, quite briefly. First of all, Jesus talks about uh, anger. And uh, uh, anger towards other people. The law said, do not murder. But Jesus here is sort of exposing the, the real intent of the law. Any unrighteous anger is bad. Uh, not just murdering someone, but even just calling someone a fool. Calling someone, you're a real idiot. You're a real knucklehead. Whatever the, whatever phrase you use. Um, and that this is a wrong attitude. This is not the way we should be uh, talking to people. That's not the way we should be 
thinking about people. And, and the reason why that, that is important to God is because, because all of those people, that everyone who we see, everyone we talk to, bears the image of God in some way that we don't quite, in some way that we don't quite understand or, or we get our head round. Everybody bears the image of God. So when we're insulting someone or, or disrespecting them or, or, yes, as far as murder or violence, whatever, this is an offence against God because that person, in some way we can't quite see or always tell, bears the image of God. And, you know, we think, oh, yeah, well, well I'm, enti- I'm entitled to be very angry with them because, ooh, uh, look at what they did to me. Look what they said to me. Graham's going to be talking about that next week. Or, or I'm in a really bad mood already and that person could... For me, it's in the car. I've got to confess. You know, you know I'm driving strictly or roughly strictly following the rules of the road and somebody cuts in front of me. You know, I want to drive my car up close behind them. You know, I want to... Um, but that person... There's the image of God. Uh, Jesus, friends, Jesus points us away from that. He's saying we're all equal before God. We all bears God's image. You are not to go and just let your 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 anger out on this person. What happens instead? Jesus says in, instead, our attitude should be one of of seeking co- to correct matters very quickly, as quickly as possible. So, uh, even putting aside really important things, you can see in the, in the passage there, Jesus said, leave your, your sacrifice of the altar. That was a big deal for the Jews. That was really important to be, to be sacrificing. He says, no, leave your animal, whatever it was, on the altar. Go find your brother and correct it. And I guess that makes sense. If you look back early into chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The poor in spirit, the peacemakers. That that doesn't sound like a, an angry group of people to me. That sounds like a group of people who are meek, poor in spirit, and peacemakers. So that, that's adultery. That, excuse me. That that's murder. That's the kind of speed we're going at here. Um, verses twenty-seven to verse thirty. Jesus tells us that even thinking about others with lust in our heart is the same as an act of adultery. Uh, and again, in the original law, in, in, the, in the Jewish law, adultery was a really serious thing. It was the kind of thing that you would get killed for. Uh, and so what Jesus is saying is, is very much against the culture of what was happening in Israel because the Pharisees were saying, no, that's the line. You know, it is actual physical adultery past that. Don't worry, you're okay. Let's face it, he he is just as much against the culture of 21st century Rotherham. Friends, just just because our society thinks that that sex outside marriage, pornography, the objectification of each other is normal or even healthy, that does not mean that it is. What what has happened is that in our society, attraction and sex have become distorted from what they are supposed to be. 
God does not see it this, some, this kind of way. Not because he's some kind of spoiled sport or, or something like that. But because this is not his will for us. He has, friends, he has something far better to offer us. And so Jesus, you see Jesus using this, this figure of speech when he says, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. He does not literally mean gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, although there have been a couple of Christians in the past who have actually done that. I would not recommend it to you. Um, what he's trying to put across is just how serious this is, just how absolutely important it is. I don't know if you've noticed in the Bible, but against against most kinds of sin, it says, stand against the sin, apart from sexual immorality. For sexual immorality, it says, flee, run. That's why Joseph leaves his coat behind when he leaves Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's wife. Flee, run away. So Jesus goes on then in verses 31 and 32 to talk about divorce. Hear my heart here, folks. I am sure that in a group of people this big, there will be a number of you who have experienced divorce one way or another. In fact, in all four of these sections, there will be people among us who have experienced them in in many ways. In actual fact, we all have. Because none of us do this stuff the way we're supposed to. In these areas of our lives, all of us have lived wrongly at some time. Our thoughts and our attitudes have been wrong. So please do not feel, please, I don't want anyone here to feel, hear my heart, anybody to feel that they are being singled out here. You are not. In all these cases, Jesus is setting out God's standards and showing us that in actual fact, none of us have met them. Nobody does marriage the way it should be done. All of us can do it better in some way. But in terms of divorce at this time, the Jewish the Jewish men were divorcing their wives for just about anything. Uh, literally, there were official lists that the Pharisees have done to say, if your wife looks like this, her nose is too big, too small, whatever it may be, you can divorce her. Like under what, under what, under the law. No, that's not what the law means. And so, so if Jesus comes across as being a bit like, you know, that's, that's understandable. That is not God's views of marriage. And, and I think it's interesting, this section links together adultery and oaths because, because marriage is when you know, someone is, is married to someone and they've taken an oath about it. So I guess that makes sense. Um, th- these Jewish these Jewish men who are doing the divorce did not understand what what the marriage covenant and what faithfulness was about. And so Jesus gives, says, look, this is what it means. He, he, he permits, notice not commands, he only permits. He permits divorce in only one case. Remember, this is how we're supposed to see Christ and his church. Jesus and his church is like a marriage, a solemn covenant. It's not a social convenience. And so Jesus says, if you want to be married, be married to one person, be married to one person for life. Just a sidebar here. This is a really important sidebar. 
and I've said this before and you will hear me say it again, I'm sure. This does not in any way mean put up with domestic abuse. In no way that is what Jesus is saying. In the, 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 that is not the heart that is supposed to be being spoken to here. Uh, and it's clear from the rest of the Bible that that, that is never to be the case. Now, if you are experiencing domestic abuse, get out and seek safe shelter now. Okay? Uh, divorce, it may not, if you're married, it may not end up in divorce. I don't know. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is no tolerance for abuse. You must leave. Okay, and, and just very finally on this very quick review of these four sections, oaths, uh, this section dealing with oaths. It sounds a bit weird to us. Sounds a bit strange as to what's going on. Um, uh, people in Israel would say something like, I swear by the hairs on my head. Obviously not a thing I would be doing. Uh, or I would swear by the the horns of the altar. Or I will, because the altar had little bits that stuck up and they'd hold on to long story. Uh, or or I'll, I swear by... this. Uh, and Jesus is saying don't. Okay, And it seems to be, most commentators say... The reason why he's saying that is because they were saying this because they were lying. So they'd tell a lie, but then to try and make it stick, they'd say, I swear by the hairs on my head that Sheffield Wednesday will get into the premiership. Um, or, or, or whatever it would be. That might not be a lie, actually. That might be true. Um, uh, so, so they would try to make the statement they made, which was false, more credible by swearing an oath. And Jesus is saying, don't do it. What Jesus is saying, don't, don't lie. Yet, yet you let your yes be yes and your no be no by being truthful, by being trustworthy. So the words that you say should, people should be able to rely on them. You shouldn't have to say whatever you're saying. Because, because, because the words that you've said to someone are true. And you don't have to then say, I swear on the life of my mother or whatever people say. That's a long list, isn't it? Eh? That's a lot of hard work there. The disciples must have been listening to this and going, what? What are you on about? I don't know about you, but my, my first reaction when I, when I read this or when I come back to this again after a time is, is like, I'm just nowhere up to this standard, you know. Lord, I, I, you know, I try my best, but I'm, I'm, I'm not anywhere up to this. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus wants us to see, yes, the detail of this, but He doesn't want us to miss the big point. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 7, very briefly. Let me just read you from Mark chapter 7. Keep your finger in Matthew, because we're going back there in a minute. So this is Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And if you're in the church Bible, that's on page 1010. This is Jesus speaking again. Um, This is what he's saying Listen carefully to what he has to say here. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. 
For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Folks, when we, when we read a section like this in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, it can feel really condemning. And in, and in one way, it's supposed to. But it, it's not meant to make us feel like we're going to wallow in it or, or feel like super guilty. It's meant to show us. It's meant to show us this is God's standard. Repent. Change your attitude. Stop running away from God and turn towards him. We all experience this kind of sin in our life. None of us are unique in that way. But if we follow Jesus, we don't take that as an excuse. We're going to fight. We're going to fight for it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. It reads like a really negative list. What it actually is, is a really, really positive message. When Jesus is talking about these four areas... There's something that that he's saying that goes all the way across our lives. Something really important. Something that too often we misinterpret. So we're going to look at that now. Let's look at what Jesus is not saying. Okay? Let's look at what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is... And for the students of English grammar here, I apologise for the double negatives. I will try and eliminate them as we go. Uh, Jesus is not saying that the law no longer applies, or he's saying the law applies. Uh, when he's saying there in verse 21, uh, you have heard it said, he, he, he's saying this is what the, the law says, but then he goes, but I tell you. Uh, he's not saying... I'm replacing the law when he says that. Look back into verse 17 there in, in, in Matthew 5. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. There you are, straight away. He's not come to get rid of the law. He's come to fulfill it, says it there. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Um, it's clear Jesus is talking about upholding law and encouraging people to follow the law. What he's saying is that the Pharisees have taught you incorrectly. And so Jesus is going to teach it now correctly, the way it should be. And what he's saying, what he's saying in all these areas is that the law is not a maximum standard we've got to reach. Uh, It's a minimum that we should be aiming to go way past let me tell you. Let me try and explain it to you. I don't know about you and how your personality is, but as soon as I see a rule, the first thing I'm thinking is, how can I get round it, or how can other people get round it? Okay. Talk about driving earlier. I've been told. I don't know whether this is this is true. Do not, in any way, rely on this when you are driving. Okay, please. I'm told that the police aren't concerned if you're within 10% of the speed limit when you drive. Okay. So, allegedly, if you were on the motorway driving at 77 miles an hour, the police would not be worried. Okay, partly because, you know, 
a lot of people drive too fast on the motorways, it's wasting their time. Apparently it's originally because they were concerned about inaccurate speedos in your car. And so they would say, oh, well, you know, people didn't that sort of thing. Now, what do you think when you hear that? Okay, what is your thought when you hear that? Is your thought my thought? Great. Let's drive at 77 miles an hour. Okay? Is, it, is that just me? I don't know. But, you know, as, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, fantastic. There's a way around it. Uh, uh, I heard of uh, a group of uh, a factory where they were making cars, and the the quality of the cars was really bad. I mean, it was shocking. And so a new boss comes in. He says, "Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take home the last car that's produced on Friday night, take it home." So he drove it home, brings it back in, brings it back Monday morning with this long list of problems. Says, "Look at this! Look at all these mistakes with my car." Uh, Next week. He does the same. Next week, he does the same. And as he goes through along, through time, the number of uh, problems with the car is going down. You know, the cars are getting better and better and better. But he's still getting exactly the same number of complaints from his customers. Why? Because they're fixing the last car on the Friday. And they're not fixing all the other cars. Yeah, you, we hear a rule, we hear a way somebody's, somebody's measuring something, the way someone's going to hold, hold us accountable. What do we do? We try and figure out a way around it pretty much straight away. Or is it just me? I don't think so. Um, and that is the wrong attitude. That, what Jesus is saying here, that is the wrong way. It's not how close can I get to the rule before I break it. It's how far away can I get to fulfill it. It's how well can I fulfill it. Not how, how close can I get? When am I bending the rule but not breaking it? These are God's good rules. His ways for a blessed life, a good life. So how are we going to follow them? How are we going to do that? If indeed he did send his son to die for us, if he has offered us his forgiveness... And a life with him that we didn't deserve. Shouldn't we be aiming to please him? Shouldn't we be aiming to follow this stuff? To live a life that is going to be, yeah, pleasing to him. Even though, yes, we didn't deserve it. Should we be, should we be trying to see how close we can get to being a rebel? No, I don't think so. So, so Jesus is not saying he, he's, he's, Abolish the law. He's also, he's not saying that we shouldn't follow the law. So he's saying we should follow the law. Sorry, another double negative. Um, go back into, into verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not abolishing it. Follow this. Follow this law. And Jesus does that himself. He follows it perfectly. Not only does he follow it perfectly, he fulfills it by paying the price for our sin. Not only does he do that, but he teaches it properly. What a saviour, what a guy. This, this Jesus follows the law perfectly. He is our example in all things. But, although he's following it perfectly, he's, say, he's not saying that we should follow it perfectly. He's not saying that we can follow it perfectly. Nowhere does Jesus say his followers can do this consistently. When we read the Bible, we're constantly reminded 
that we are flawed human beings. And for all our technology and all our sophistication and culture, we're still as imperfect as everybody else is. We all break God's rules every day. And, and, and Jesus makes that clear. You can read it here. But he's not saying, give me sinless perfection. That's what the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees were saying, we can do this and we can earn God's favor. Jesus is saying, yeah, the point of these, you know, you know, the point of this stuff is, no, you can't. You cannot meet this perfectly. Jesus is saying, you're blessed. You know, look what he's saying back in verse 2. You're poor in spirit. You're mourning. You're meek. You're, you're, you're pure in heart and you're peacemakers, but you are not everything you, you should be. I know you're broken. You're blessed because of that attitude. What Jesus is also not saying is, until you sort your life out, you can't come to me. Uh, the Pharisees were saying that. The Pharisees said, until you are doing this right, you will not be right with God. Jesus is not saying that. Throughout the Bible, Jesus says, says, trust in me and ask for my forgiveness. That's all you've got to do. When you do that, you will be my disciple. You will follow me. You will see heaven. Don't be like the Pharisees. Ian was talking about this last week, wasn't he? Don't be like the Pharisees. They're trying to follow every everything every way. You're okay with me if you trust me and you follow me. Rely, Jesus says, rely on my righteousness. Don't rely on your righteousness. That is what will get you into heaven. Jesus says, I will die for you and I will rise from the dead for you. That will get you into heaven. So you say to me, hold on a minute, Ian. Are you saying that we need to follow this law or that we don't follow it, need to follow this law? What are you talking about? Uh, I thought Sam was going to say that. Um, the, one of the, the answer to that is yes. Okay? Uh, that, that both of those things are true. Let me explain why. This is not a contradiction. Uh, Jesus is not asking us for to be perfectly sinless because we can't be. He knows we can't meet that standard. We're only saved, we're only made right with God when we trust in him and we start to follow him, saying that we're sorry for the bad things we've done and saying we want to be more like Jesus. What he's saying that, once we have done that, once we have put our trust in him, that we will naturally of our own volition, want to follow his commands. We will see that these these commands are good. And we're going to say, you know, we're not going to try and do what the Pharisees do. We're going to try and, from our hearts, follow what Jesus has set out here. Because Jesus is going to give us a new heart when we believe in him. We don't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own strength. And so he gives us a new heart, a new heart that enables us to, to do our best to follow him, to follow this. What Jesus is describing here 
is, is not how to get onto the team. He's, descri- he's describing what you do on the team when you're on it. He describes how you're going to play when you're on the team. He's not saying this is how you qualify. John Piper talks about this and, and he says that, that uh, it is not the root, it is the fruit. Okay? It is not the root of how we're saved. It's the fruit of when we're saved. It's the result of us being saved when we start to, to follow this stuff. So in answer to the question, should we follow the law? And I'm talking about, again, just to be clear, I'm following about the, the moral law at that point. The answer is yes. So how are we going to do that? If it's so difficult, how are we going to do that? And this is our second question, perhaps a, a little more briefly. How can we follow this kind of instruction? It seems so hard. Kevin DeYoung uses a great example. Kevin DeYoung is a, a preacher in, in the States. Uh, Ian saw him a few weeks ago. Uh, and he gives us the example of a parent. Okay? Uh, some of you are parents. Some of you might be grandparents. Uh, all of us have, have had parents. Uh, so we know that this is kind of what this feels like. Uh, our parents set out rules for us. Okay? Uh, they are things that are usually good rules. Things that, that if, if the kids follow the rules, they will be good for the kid, and they'll be good for everyone, and they will please the parents. Uh, my grandma always told me that she only had one rule, which is do what you're told when you're told. You can ask a question afterwards if you want to, but do what you're told when you're told. Yes, Nana. Okay, Nana. Um, she was only short, but she was feisty with my Nana. You didn't, you didn't mess around with my Nana. Um, so, let, so let's say you're a parent. You say to your kids, and I'm sure this has never happened, you say to your kids, go and tidy your room. And didn't you just love that when you were a kid? Yeah. And now you get to say to your kids, if you're a parent here, this is... This is some you know, folks over here looking at the young folks down here. You just bear in mind you do get the chance to say this to someone else at some point. Okay, so, this, um, so you say, "Go to your room and tidy your room." Uh, so the kid runs off, and they come back ten minutes later, more realistically, half an hour later, and say, "Okay, I've tidied my room." And so you you say, "Okay, let's come and have a look." And you go in, and and you can tell they've made a good effort. You know, they, they've they've had a good go. But there's some toys lying in the corner, you know, and the the sheet, the bed sheets are quite ruffled, and there's, you know, there's there's still uh, uh, a crumpled up, crunchy wrapper in the corner or something like that. Um, now, what do you say at that point as the parent? Do you say, "Well, that's rubbish, that is. I mean, that is absolutely rubbish." I could have done better myself. I should have done better myself. I don't know why I didn't just do it myself. Look at these toys left over, all, all these, all these sheets rustled up, and this crunchy wrap. I can't remember the last time you had a crunchy. I don't know how long that's been there for. No, they're just a kid. You don't say that. You say, "Well done, thanks, good job, thank you for doing that." That's a really good, well done. And then when they go out, you do the last couple of bits yourself and tidy it up. 
You're pleased that they've done what you asked them to do, that they were obedient to you. No, they didn't do it perfectly, but their heart was in it. You know, they wanted to do it right. They tried their best. They had, you know, they, they did okay. They had some success. And your heart is pleased. You are, you are thankful and grateful that you have a kid who has pretty much obeyed what you wanted them to do. Their heart was in the right place. As they grow, yes, we, we might raise the standard a little bit as, as they grow, but we're not looking for perfection. We're not looking to make them feel super guilty. It's no coincidence that Jesus called God, calls God Father. He told us, didn't he, to pray to our Father. He says, pray to our Father in, he- in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he calls him elsewhere, he calls him Abba Father. It means literally Dad. When Jesus tells us to, to obey the, this, these laws and these rules, he's talking about the way in which a father is talking to his children. He knows he will not do it perfectly. He knows we will not meet the standard. He knows that we will fall short and that that shortfall will be sorted out by Jesus. But he does say, I want your heart to be in it. I want you to do your best. And I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart to help you to do that. And so, so, and so that's why we say it's the heart of the matter. Jesus is saying, I want your heart to be in the right place. This is not a long list of, of rules to go tick, 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 tick. Okay, this morning I haven't uh, looked at anybody lustfully yet. Tick. I haven't uh, lost my temper to anyone. Tick. No, he's saying, is your heart in the right place? We want, Jesus wants us to have an attitude, a right attitude, and that attitude is, I want to please my Father. I want to please my Father in heaven. When someone becomes a Christian, God says, here, have this new heart. You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel is a book in the Old Testament. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23. This is God, and just listen to this promise. Can you hear? Can you hear what the Father is saying to you? There's so much in this, in this passage. I, Ezekiel 36, verse 23, starting in verse 23. I will show the holiness of, this is God talking, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned across the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you and and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It is God who's going to do the work. He's going to give us the, he's going to give us a new heart. He's going to give us his spirit and give us the desire, the attitude to say, yes, I want to do this. I want to follow, I want to follow your law. And he does this because he is glorious and holy and majestic and perfect and loving and gracious and merciful. It is not because we deserve it. He does it because he is a great God. And he says, I want you to follow my laws and my decrees and I am going to help you to do it. When we've got a real sense of what's going on in this passage, I think I think there's only two possible reactions, to be honest with you. If we're really being honest with ourselves, we're going to say, yeah, I know that sometimes I'm angry with people. Sometimes I call them a fool. Sometimes I look look lustfully at other people. Sometimes I deceive people. Certainly our society would not worry about many of these issues. They don't worry about many of the things Jesus said. I think that you're either going to trust in yourself and say, I'm going to work really, 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 really hard to do this. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, I'm going to cut my hands off and put my eyes out. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to live in a cave in the mountain so I never see anyone, so I don't have to do any of this stuff. That's what the Pharisees were thinking. Or you can trust Jesus to do it for you. You can trust Jesus to give you a new heart. You can trust him to say, I will follow, I will follow you. And he will give you the Holy Spirit so that we naturally want to do this. If you're a Christian here today, you've already done that. Celebrate that fact. Rejoice in the fact that we have the Holy Spirit inside us and that we have a God who cares for us, a God who is our Father. If you're here and you're not a Christian today, I beg you and implore you. I hope that you can see that these are good rules and that we need some help to try and follow them. How can we please God today? There's a question for you. How can you delight him? Is it something we need to change in our attitude? I have an overwhelming desire that when you read this, when you read this passage, you do not see a long list of things to beat yourself up with. What I want you to see, and, and, I, and I hope you've seen that as we've talked about this today, is that, is that God is a loving Father who, who wants our obedience, but not our perfection. Who loves us, and in whom we can take 
great joy as he takes great joy in us. Let's pray together.